If you're just joining us, or if you're not just joining us, as you came in the door, look, Shane, you're all organised. If you even got the outline ready, you must be a fellow student. <laughs> so I'd encourage you to take out your notes as we're wrapping up a series called Text Messages. And today I want to look at a very, very, to me, one of the fundamental for Christians, one of the fundamentals, and it's this, how do I continue in God's word? How do I maintain a heart for God's word? We've been looking about, at that for the last six weeks. And Jesus said this, he says, if, if, now notice it is a conditional statement. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Now those of you who are programmers get this, if, then. If you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples. So what I want to look at today is how do I bridge the gap between knowing and doing? Because all of us in this room know far more than what we do. Isn't that the truth? Huh? Especially in God's word. And how do we bridge that gap? When we bridge that gap and we, 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 we do what we know, we are living a life of integrity, and every single person here wants to live a life of integrity before God. So how do I integrate, not segregate, that's the opposite, how do I integrate God's Word into every area of my life, into the area of even when I play squash, or I shoot, or I play tennis, or I sail, or I'm with my work colleagues in IT. How do I integrate God's word? How do you become a woman of God's word? How do you become a man of God's word? How does that happen? Well, it begins with a desire. A desire. Most of us are familiar with that word, desire. But you won't ever move forward unless you want to be a man or a woman of God's word. Do you want to be a man or woman of God's word? Well, great. Awesome. Talking to the right team this morning. So first verse on your outline, which Kim just read out, Psalm 119 verse 20. What I want most, what I want most, can you see the passion in the guy? Most. Not, ah, oh, yeah, be nice. No, no, what I want most, number one, that's number one, and at all times, that's integrated, not just part of, just when I'm at church, is to honor your laws. What I want most, the number one thing in my life, David is saying here, I want to be a man of your word, Lord. That's exactly what he's saying there. And today I want to talk to you about and show you six ways, and if you Get a grip on this. You will be able to integrate God's word into your life. Six ways to integrate it. First step to becoming a man or woman of God's word. I must build on God's word. I must build on it. Build my life on the foundation of the Bible. Not the babble in the world, which is constantly changing. I'm going to pick this up, if you have your Bibles, at the end of Matthew 7, 24, and it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, they're up here, but if you're a Christian, I would always encourage you to bring your Bible. Here it is. Matthew 7, an absolute archetypal, pivotal parable that the Lord is saying here. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine 
Now, there's a very important conjunction here. And puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built, built, there's that word, who built his house upon the rock. But it's not just hearing and puts them into practice. You've got to have the other part of that. So what he's saying here is make the truth of God's word the foundation of your life. And then you'll be secure. Why is that? Because truth never changes. But opinions always do. Opinions are like the shifting sands that just blow and move. And they're not even there an hour later. Sounds to me like fashion or a lot of the common morality quote that air quotes that people adhere to these days. Now I've seen and noticed that most people build their lives actually on the shifting foundations. And their lives fall apart. Rather than building on the Word of God, which never changes because he never, God never makes a mistake. And rather than taking his words, which never have to be changed, that's why the Bible is inerrant. They in turn opt for and choose to build their lives on the shifting sands and their lives fall apart. Four unreliable foundations you never want to build your life upon. The first one is popular culture. And this is where truth is derived by what is popular. Everybody's doing it, so it must be true. And some people build their lives on popular culture because they think, well, if I do what everybody else is doing, that's the way to get ahead. Yeah, but in what race? A race to the bottom? Where is the race headed? Has anybody ever asked that? When I start a race, the first thing I need to know as I'm putting my foot on that line with thousands of other people, or it's a swimming as a start off a triathlon, the first thing I need to know is where's this thing headed? So don't start any race until you know where it's headed. Jesus even says there, he says, count the cost, figure out what you're doing, what it's going to cost. So if I do what everyone else is doing, they think it's the way to get ahead again. What race? And be popular. Well, with whom? Who do you want to be popular with? The crowd? Because this is what happened. People are fickle. One minute they'll love you, the next minute they'll leave you. That's how people are. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. It wanders around. The problem is, what is in today is out tomorrow. And the culture has a constantly changing foundation. So it's really stupid to build your life on that. Now God says in Exodus 23:2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Now as a generalization, most things the crowd do are wrong. The majority is often wrong. And there are, the scripture is replete with a plethora of, of examples of the crowd going one way, and it's exactly the opposite way that God wants you to go. So he says, don't build your life direction on the shifting sands of popular culture. The second foundation, which is a mistake to build your life on, and this made great some here today, it's the ground of tradition. Tradition basically says, well, we've always done it that way. We have, my mum has, my mum's mum has, our ancestors have. 
Friends, tradition isn't always bad, but no tradition lasts forever. Truth lasts forever. Truth trumps tradition. Truth, Christ trumps culture. Christ is above. He's supracultural. He's over the top. Traditions eventually wear out and become obsolete and they're not valid. Mark 7, notice this is, notice how, how powerful traditions can become and sometimes blind us to the things that God wants to say. Mark 7, 8, Jesus is speaking and he says, you have let go. Look, you've let go. Let go. You've let go of the commands of God and instead, if you're the lamb to insert that word isn't there, and you're holding onto the traditions of men. He says, you got it wrong. That's a really dumb thing. You're hanging on to a rope that's not attached to anything. If you put your tradition ahead of truth, you're going to get in trouble. That's what that scripture says there. The third faulty foundation is just merely human reason. Now, those of you who know me, I'm in for good reason. But one thing, I, one thing I've learned, I started off and I went to school, just like many of you guys, and I got my UE, and then I did my first degree, and I, you know what I said? Oh, that's the end of my learning. I'm done. I'm over exams. <laughs> I'm done. What I learned, I then did a, a, another degree, and a terminal one, a doctorate. And you know what I've learned this? The more I learn, the more I know I don't know much. So the, the proper outcome of learning is that you're more humble. You're not more arrogant. And I've re- learned that my human reasoning is very faulty sometimes. When I just rely on my own intellect. Now the reason for that is my intellect, as is yours, is limited. I do not have perfect knowledge. You know, have you ever heard this? Well, it sounds reasonable. Absolutely. Or it sounds logical. Or I've always thought... Here's a revelation to you and to me. Not everything I think is true. Oh, so I need to sort that out a little bit. That's, tr- that, that, that's a shocking thought that I could have fallible thoughts. See, whatever seems reasonable is often wrong. And the scriptures underline this principle. Right? We need to balance this because sometimes we have an inflated opinion of our own opinions. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right to man. It's got an appearance of reasonability. But in the end, it leads to death. There are many other scriptures I could have drilled on, but that's just one that underlines the counsel of God of putting too much stock in just simply human reason. For example, let me get a bit meddly here. How many of you ever thought it was a reasonable thing to marry this person? (laughs) Or it was a very logical thing to get into this business and then lost your shorts. Excuse the expression, but you know what I mean. You got taken to the cleaners. But it looked perfectly reasonable. The numbers added up in the Excel spreadsheet, which you dissected, sliced and diced a million ways. Or how many of you thought it was a great idea to accept that job offer and learned it was a real bummer? Huh? Or a real turkey of a boss? Yeah. Or he's a big one. One of my friends. Oh, Ian, have I got a deal for you? Why is it that people come to pastors with great deals? And I, 99.9999999999, recurring to the 20th, I say, no. My mate says, and he's a smart guy. 
I've got this great deal. You double your money. He said, buddy, you don't you double your money anywhere without commensurate risk. He plonks it, go down, loses nearly half a million dollars, just like that, poff, in a stroke of a pen. He thought it was a great idea, but he doesn't have perfect knowledge. So what seems to be the right thing was an absolute disaster. Yeah, because your human reason, like mine, isn't infallible. You make mistakes, I make mistakes. You are not omniscient, God is. Now, the most important one to avoid is the fourth shifting foundation. And boy, this shifts daily. And that's emotion. Building your life on emotions. Well, it kind of feels the right thing to do, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Dumb mistake. In other words, what that's really saying is I do what I feel. The problem with that, and you may have found this as have I, is that feelings lie. Feelings lie. They tell you things are going great when actually your marriage is a shambles. Or they tell you things are really terrible, but things aren't as bad as they seem to be. And so what happens is, if you rely on your feelings, you can be fooled by your feelings. And if you rely on your feelings, you can be manipulated by your moods. Here's how fickle we are. How many saw the day yesterday? Beautiful. Sun's out. It lifts your heart. Next minute, the clouds come over. We're all maruchido, you know. What happened? We have no control of it, yet our whole outlook can sometimes be manipulated by something as simple as the weather. So if you build your life simply on emotions, there is a word for that. And you know that with your children, you who are parents and grandparents. There's a word for that. When people live their lives by their feelings, it's called immaturity. Maturity and wisdom is when you act according to your values, according to your convictions, according to what is right, rather than what I feel like doing. Let me tell you, if I do, if I, yeah, just live, listen to my feelings, there's a, a lot of things I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't do. In fact, 5,000 years ago, in the book of Judges, look at what this says. At that time, there was no king in Israel, and people did whatever they felt like doing. Sounds like 2018 to me. <laughs> so if you have a weak foundation, here's the implication. Ask Glenn, he's a builder. If you have a weak foundation, you've got no stability in your life. Now, on the other hand, if you want a strong foundation, you want to build your life on God's word. Now, let me be real clear. Emma, you may not always like it. I don't always like what God's word says. It may not always be politically correct, Elliot. But if God said it, I am going to build my life on the Bible. It will be my final authority. The Supreme Court, to borrow from Kimberley. Not Oprah, not Leighton Smith, but the Bible is my supreme authority. Now, the second way to integrate your, uh, God's word into my life is to feed on it. Feed on it. The Bible is often called spiritual food. And we need spiritual food to live strong spiritual lives. Famous verse from Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread 
alone, but by the word of God or the mouth of God. So in the Bible, the word of God is described as milk sometimes, bread sometimes, food, spiritual meat. But here's the deal. In the same way that Ben is teaching Isabel, bless her heart, when we're, we're having dinner together at a wedding, <laughs> Ben's sister's wedding, he's teaching her to eat by herself. That's how Ben should act as a father. And Christians need to be able to feed themselves. So they can, they're hungry, they fix themselves some dinner. They're not always waiting for mum or dad to spoon feed. And then what drives me mad in our household, we, we grew up with not much. Um, we'd make dinner or mum would make dinner or sometimes on the weekend. And let me tell you, we were never allowed to say these words, I don't like that. <laughs> Death would pursue. <laughs> Ominous signs, flashes of lights from my mother's eyes. So we never did that. And we could never figure out why. You'd go to some places and, and, and mum would beautifully cook this dinner and they were fussy. You know, you need to learn to cook yourself too, by the way. You need to learn to feed yourself, by the way. If you, uh, one thing I never wanted to be said of anybody at New Hope is the words, I'm not getting fed. Oh, my Lord, help me. I want to strangle that thought. Because by now, you ought to be teachers. Not put me feeding it into your mouths and then burping you and changing your diapers every time you have a mess. God wants you to feed yourself and to grow and to be self-propagating. That means literally bringing people to Christ yourself as well. By the way, soldiers, I know this because many of my people in my last church in California, we have people from the, military, uh, the, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, the whole lot. And one thing I learned is before they go to battle, man, those guys do not starve. They are fed by the army. So they go into battle with a full, a full belly. They're fully charged, ready to roll. And by the way, if you ever have laborers, you need to make sure they're fed before they go to work. So the Bible says, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it move into you. Let it inhabit you. Let it take up residence in a rich and profound and life-giving way and strength-giving way. That's what this Bible is saying, that the Bible verse is saying. So, if you'd just like to bring that up, Glenn, that'd be great. A couple of ways we can do that. I can receive it with my ears. That means I can listen. Thanks, buddy. I can listen. And faith comes by hearing the word of God, says. But here's the problem. Our ears leak. Did you hear that? Our ears leak. And men especially tend to forget 105% of what they heard. I can read it with my eyes. Okay, that's a good way. You have a Bible in your house, but here's the point. It won't bless you unless you open it up. And you take it into your heart and your mind. I can research it. With my hands and study, with my mouth, I talk it through. That's great to do with a small group. I can reflect on it with my mind. And I can meditate in it in different ways. And lastly, I can remember it in my heart. And memorizing is such an accelerator to your spiritual growth. I want to show you, very just briefly, a, a picture of what it looks like to let the Word of God dwell in you. If I receive it with my ears, here I have, believe it or not, a cup of hot water. And a tea bag. And the water represents your soul. The tea bag 
is a portion of God's word. And as I pop it in there, if I just listen and pull it out, you can hardly even see just a little minute change. But we'll just leave it there for a moment. If you only listen, it's just like one dip of the tea bag, weak as water. My wife wouldn't touch that cup of tea. It has to be stiff for her to drink it. <laughs> but if you do all five of those things that talked about at the top, if you receive it with your ears, if you read it with your eyes, if you research it with your hands and your mouth, I like to speak out the word of God, especially in the morning, because if I don't, my mind wanders. Maybe yours does too. So if you want to stay focused, you read it with your lips. I can reflect on it with my mind, and I can remember it with my heart. Now, if I do all the fives, it's like multiple dips, and it slowly starts to absorb. The water begins to absorb the flavor and the color and the aroma of my wife's Earl Grey, French Earl Grey, excuse me, tea, which has a, a unique smell to it, or should I say scent. And then the character of the tea. Now, eventually, I want to point out to you something's going to happen. Eventually, the identity of the water is transformed, and it is no longer water. It's a cup of tea. That's what it's like to let the word of God richly dwell in your heart. Not poorly, but richly. And you begin to absorb what it is really saying when you do these things. Now, the word of God is not only food for your soul. It is a standard for living. A standard for living. Therefore... The third way to integrate God's word into my life is to live by it. That's the third one, to live by it. The word of God is not only food for your soul, it's a standard of living. And that means the word of God is the standard by which you judge everything else of value. Whoa, whoa, we start to meddle here. The word of God sets the standard of value. My wealth is in the cross. Not in my Kiwi saver, not my property, because you know what? You're going to leave all that behind, and it's almost going to be like there is nothing left of anything on this earth. Only what you've done for Christ, not for your business. What did you do for Christ through your business? Will last. Look at this. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now, the basic fact I want to communicate to you today is that memorizing Scripture will accelerate your spiritual growth. So the question is, do you want to accelerate your spiritual growth? If you do, start memorizing. And that's easy to say, hard to do. This is where we get integration. So when I'm trying to memorize a reasonably large passage of Scripture, what I do is I'll tell my wife, and then on Friday when we meet together to share what we have been reading throughout the week, I'll give her the book and I'll say, right, here it is, boom. And I will try and get it right. And by the way, I like to try and memorize word perfect. And I would suggest you do too, word perfect. But if you're interested in doing that, oh yeah, it can be embarrassing at times because I don't always get it right. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going in that direction. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you want to go in that direction too? If you do, that bullet may fit your gun, so shoot it. Take it. Use it. For example, when Jesus was tempted, I was just talking to somebody about this last week, three times he quotes scripture 
and you can do the same thing too. You can use it. You can use the scripture to, when you memorize it, to overcome temptation. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. So you can use it to overcome temptation. You can, you can use it to give you confidence in witnessing. You can use, uh, use it to give you victory over worry. See, what gets your attention gets you. Some of you need to write that down. What gets your attention is going to get you. So the answer is ch- change the focus of your attention. You can use the scripture to strengthen your prayer life. You can use it to defend and fend off depression. What gets, you, gets your attention gets you. And it's useful in counseling others. I cannot tell you the number of times I've been sharing, somebody's been sharing their heart with me, and in my mind I've got no clue what to do, but the scripture will come to mind which will bring some light to the situation. Now some of you may want to offer an excuse like, well, I can't remember. I can't even remember what day it is, let alone anything else. Here's the deal. We remember what's important to us. And by the way, one thing I have noticed, and some of you may Some of you older generation may have noticed the same thing too. We used to remember a whole bunch more than we do now. We could remember telephone numbers up the wazoo. We could remember a whole bunch of things. Now we go, well, I don't know, check my smartphone. Somebody to ask you name all of the digits of your, your, even just your own children's telephone numbers. You probably couldn't even do that now. We used to be able to do that. Now, interesting point. One of my friends is a CFO and he's a bit pedantic about quantifying things. So the end of the year came, he turned off his V-dub, and um, he looked, he was poking through the digits on, you know, or stepping through the modes in his car, and he saw that every time he comes to a stop, his car stops, you know, it just, the engine cuts off. Have you seen those new ones? When you, when you come to a red light, it just stops. And he saw there, he, when he looked over just over one year, he had been stopped at red lights for 40 hours that last year. 40 complete hours he'd been sitting still, you know, waiting for the lights to change. Now, I just did a quick calculation this morning on my Excel spreadsheet, because I'm just like that, and I realized that if he does that same thing over a lifetime, he will spend 10 complete Forty hour, uh, uh, 10 complete months, 40 hours a week sitting at red stoplights. Can you believe that? Do the math. I did it this morning. One of my other friends in California had a habit of putting verses in his sun visor. And every time he'd stop, he'd just pull it down. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. No, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. And he learned over 500 verses by not doing more time in the morning, but going backwards and forwards between work, just putting it by his sun visor. But he was determined. He had a desire to grow, a desire and to redeem the time. Again, my suggestion to you, if you're serious about that, is get a partner and review them each week. So come back to my picture of this tea. Now what's happened here? See down the bottom, the color's kind of like... Very different as it started to infuse. The water has absorbed the color, the flavor, the aroma, and the character of the tea. And the water has taken on a new identity. Now it's a glass of tea. So when you let the rich word of Christ dwell in you, you absorb the nature of Christ. And you begin to become the man or woman of God he has always wanted you to become. Why? Because they have his thoughts, not your thoughts. Less of me 
more of him. You become more like the author, more forgiving, less distracted, more focused on his priorities rather than your own. The fourth way we integrate God's word into my life is you grow through it. Now, the Bible is often referred to as a seed, a seed that's planted in the person's heart. And early in this series, I use the verse from the Psalm 119, verse 18. It says, open my eyes. Open. And that is a, an act of the Spirit of God that I may see wonderful things in your law. For the last five, six, seven years, my wife has gotten up around about five o'clock most mornings, and she delights herself in the Word of God. And that's on, yes, Saturdays and Sundays delights herself. It feeds her in the word of God. She's just engrossed. And and she shares those wonderful things. Now Jesus told an entire story to emphasize the importance of staying open. So you keep growing. See, if you close off and you get hard and you think you know it all, you're in danger. Well, pick this up in Luke 8. And this can um, represent four different attitudes you can have towards the word of God or the Bible. And by the way, or you can have all four in the same day sometimes. All four of these attitudes. Let's pick it up, Luke 8, 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Now over time, soil can become compacted and hard by travel. And any seed scattered has no real chance of taking root. And then Jesus follows on to give us some of the meaning. Verse 12. Those along the footpath are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so they cannot believe and be saved. So the first point here is a hardened soil is a closed mind. Sometimes we, even, we don't even give God a chance to talk. You know why? Because our minds are made up. No, I will not forgive that person. No, I don't want to hear what you have to say about my boyfriend, God. He's too important to me. No, God, I don't want to hear what you have to say about getting in unnecessary and reckless debt. And no, God, I don't want to hear what you have to say about sex. That's between me and whoever it will be. Because I've got my mind mind made up. So effectively, and I don't wish that to sound irreverent, but this is the effect of it. God Keep out of this. That's a, that's a closed mind. Now the first action, if I'm going to let the truth of God really change me, is I must cultivate an open mind to God. Not closed, no. This is not up for discussion. I must cultivate an open mind. Next, the, so- the other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. So it's pretty hard under there. Now the seed began to grow in the little bit of soil on the top, but soon it withered and dried for a lack of moisture. Now from time to time we go away for a week and in our lounge and get up to 42 degrees Celsius in there because there's so much sun coming in. And I'll tell you what I found, that most plants wither when the heat's on, when there hasn't got no deep roots to draw from. Luke 8, 13, the rocky soil represents those who hear the message. Now, this is a challenge. They hear the message, and then there's something else. With joy, there's a qualifier. It wasn't, oh, yeah, I heard that. It's, wow, with joy. 
But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. They believe for a while, but they wilt when the hot winds of testing blow. So the shallow soil is like the superficial mind. The superficial mind. And sometimes we act superficially to God's word. It's kind of like, have you ever had a superficial conversation with somebody? And you're just talking and it's just on the top. You're not going very deep. And you kind of get that sense when you're talking to them. And we get excited. In this case, these people, they heard the word. They got excited. They reacted emotionally. They could have even been an impulsive. But they don't take the time to let it really sink in. See, with joy. See, they have joy, but they're not transformed. And this is what happens. They'll hear the word. The Spirit will impress upon them. They'll drive out of any church in this country. And by the time they get to the drive, the end of the drive, they don't even remember what it was. They thought it was cool then. But by the time they get 200 meters away, it's gone. And they walk out and they forget because they never allowed the word to penetrate the bedrock of the personality and the habits, the habits, which are repeated patterns of behavior. So the second action is, I must make time for God's word so I grow beyond superficiality. I must make time. So important. Otherwise, we fool ourselves. If I just take a quick glance at it and I don't gaze at it, I don't give it any time, I can't build any roots. It's impossible. Roots take time to develop. Weak roots, little fruits. Now, busyness is a major barrier that keeps you and me from being as productive as we could be and a man of the word or woman of the word. So my encouragement to you is keep on with your daily devotions. I was just saying to my wife this week, it is really a challenge and a discipline to try and get some time with God, get my job done, and keep physically fit, huh? just even those three alone. It is a challenge, but make the commitment to have that daily time with God. Next, the third type of soil. God shows you a truth, and he plants it in your mind and your heart, and it begins to go, yeah, okay, I get that. But then other things choke it out. I get preoccupied. Anybody been preoccupied recently? Apart from me. I've got two hands up, okay? <laughs> me. Me a culpa. Verse, chapter 8, verse 7. Other seeds fell in the weeds. Anybody been in the weeds lately? <laughs> Deep in the weeds. <laughs> oh, yeah. The weeds grew and they strangled it. They strangled it. That's a throttling. Horrible feeling. Note the seeds sprout and it grows, but it never bears fruit. We talked about that last week. Verse 14, the seeds that fell among the weeds stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, which Kimberly mentioned and Ben sung about, 
and pleasures and they don't mature. Mature plants, like mature humans, naturally reproduce. Circle there in that verse, as they go. See that word? As they go. Circle that. And my question to you is this. Are you always on the go? You don't have time to let the word of God soak. Busyness is the third barrier to integrating God's word. We're so distracted. Hard. And you think about how tough this is. When you go to sit to do your Bible study in the morning, how many of you have your phones in the same room? That's a temptation right there. It's like for some women, putting some chocolate right in the middle of the table and saying, don't look at that. Don't look at that. <laughs> Very difficult. They're choked. They're stressed. So distracted, there's no time for the word of God. Always on the go. And what they're really doing is they're going in circles. No time for God. The third, thirdly, the soil with the weeds is the preoccupied mind. How am I going to close this deal? What house am I going to build next? How am I going to improve my golf score? Are all your circuits too busy for God? Maybe it's your career. That's, it occupies the lion's portion of the real estate in your head. Maybe it's hobbies. Golf. Whatever it may be. Tennis. Maybe it's family. What? Family? Yes, family. God's number one. And family are a gift from God. They're number two. Actually, it's your wife next and then your kids. So the action here is I must eliminate the distractions. And I am convinced I must eliminate the distractions. I'm personally convinced that after 25 years of pastoring here, that the sin of Aucklanders in East Auckland is not really drug addiction or big, mean, ugly, nasty, wicked things that people do. The big sin of all of you and me is we're too busy for things that are most important. Most important. See, if we're busy with things that really aren't that important, then we don't have time for the things that are most important. And finally, the fourth kind of soil. When the seed of truth gets planted in your heart and your mind, it gets roots and then it gets fruit. And this is the willing mind. 8.15. The seeds that fell in the good soil stand for those. Now, you may, you may even want to number these who hear the message. Step one. Two, retain it in a good and obedient heart. Uh, a good and obedient heart. And they persist in it, and then they bear fruit. Four marks. Here they are. You might want to circle them. Hear it, retain it, which means remember it. Obey it, because you can't obey it unless you retain it. And you can't retain it unless you've heard it. And then they persist until they bear fruit. They don't flake out. So four, the good soil is a willing mind, and it says, I'm teachable. I'm prepared to change some of my thoughts, my attitudes, and my habits. So the action is cooperate with what God says. Which leads us to our fifth point. We need to act on it. And James, the brother of Jesus, by the way, again, just to see if you're listening, who was the other brother of Jesus who wrote a New Testament book? Who? James is one. Who was the other one who wrote a New Testament book? 
He had, you know, there was at least seven kids in Jesus' family. You can read their names in the Bible. That's for something else you go chase later. Who is the other brother that wrote a New Testament book of Jesus? Who? Jude. Jude was the other brother. So there's James and Jude. James, in this case, says in James 1.22, do not merely listen. There's some warning in that to the word. So it says, you're not done. You're not done. So and, and if you do that, if you just listen, you're going to deceive yourselves, it says. Ooh, I want nobody in this church ever to be deceived. So how do you fix that? Last part, do what it says. See, if I go to church and it's going in one ear and it's leaking out the other one and I listen to it, I'm risking living a life of self-deception. Now you see, I think I've written down the notes and I've got it. Well, it's a first step, yes, because if you didn't write any notes, you wouldn't remember a thing. But that's still not it. What we're going to do is we're going to do what this application bridge says. And I've taken this from a, from a, a book at the back, Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. And it's the application bridge. But this is not just Rick's. This has been around for years. You've got to figure out what it meant to them then. Who were they talking to? We talked about that. And then you've got to figure out what's a timeless principle will you pull out, and therefore what does it mean to me today now. That's how you do an application. And we mentioned it earlier on in the series where we picture it, we visualize the scene in your mind, because so often we just read past things. And then you pronounce it. Sometimes we emphasize each word, especially if you're studying it. Studying it. Then we can paraphrase it. Write it down in your own words. That's what I do a lot of the time in the scriptures. I write it down in my own words. Then personalize it. For example, you know, what's a good one? There's John 3.16. For God so loved Ian. For God so loved Michelle. For God so loved Ben. That he gave Jesus. So that when Ben believes in him, so you see what I mean? You personally you put the name into that. And then you probe it. And I've talked about that before. Is there a sin to confess in what I've read this morning? Is there a promise to claim? Not only that, is there an attitude to change or a command to obey? Just asking those questions. Is there an example to follow? Did somebody do something in this scripture I'm reading today that is an example for me to follow? This is how you get traction. Is there a prayer to pray? Or is there an error to avoid? That's for sure. Is there a truth to believe? Or lastly, is there something to praise God for? So this helps you practice the word of God. And here's a shocking sentence, which I believe to be true. You and I only believe the parts of the scripture that we do. Otherwise, we just give mental assent and we don't do. Finally, the last thing we need to do with the word of God, if I'm going to be that person who wants to have a life of integrity, and this is to trust in it. I build on it, I feed on it, I live by it, I grow through it, I act on it, then I live it out by trusting in it. God's word will always guide you in the right direction. Psalm 119 verse 105, very famous verse, your word is a lamp, right? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's your future. In other words, a lamp to what's going on right now because my feet are right in front of me and a light to the path down the road. It'll give you both things. It'll teach you how to live today and show you how to position yourself for the future. And here's what I want to challenge you to do today in a sentence. Make a commitment to continue in God's word daily. Get it? Get it? Great. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word 
I thank you, Father, that your word with your spirit calms our fears. You enlighten our minds. You strengthen our backbone and our will. And you grow us in maturity. Lord, your word leads us in the dark. Father, in response for all these wonderful gifts that you give us, we want to commit to an ongoing habit of continuing in your word and not drifting. Today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, would you say, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but I do want to open my life up to you. I want to start that journey. I want to get to know you. I want to know your promises and your purpose for my life. Forgive me for my sin. And Lord, as I give my life to you, would you adopt me into your family? In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.